One author wrote, Charlie Boswell has always been one of my heroes. He has inspired me and thousands of others to rise above circumstances and live our true passion. Charlie was blinded during World War II while rescuing his friend from a tank uh, that was under fire. He was a great athlete before his accident, and in a testimony of his talent and determination, he decided to try a brand new sport, a sport he never imagined playing, even with his eyesight, golf. Through determination and a deep love for the game, he became the National Blind Golf Champion. He won that honor 13 times. One of his heroes was the great golfer Ben Hogan, so it truly was an honor for Charlie to win the Ben Hogan Award in 1958. Upon meeting Ben Hogan, Charlie was awestruck and stated that he had one wish, and it was to play one round of golf with the great legend Ben Hogan. Mr. Hogan agreed, and uh, that playing around together would be an honor for him as well, as he heard all about Charlie's accomplishments and truly admired his skills. Would you like to play for money, Mr. Hogan? Blurted out Charlie. I can't play you for money, Hogan said. That wouldn't be fair. Oh, come on, Mr. Hogan. A thousand dollars a hole. I can't. What would people think of me taking advantage of you in the circumstances, replied the everly, wonderfully skilled, sighted golfer, Ben Hogan. You chicken, Mr. Hogan? Okay, blurted out. Yeah, Mr. Hogan in, in frustration, but I'm going to have to play my best. I wouldn't expect anything else, said the confident Boswell. Well, then you're on, Mr. Boswell. You just name the time and the place. A very self-assured Boswell said, 10 o'clock tonight. <laughs> I love that. I have no idea if that story is true or not. But it does start us down the road to a very important question. What is your ambition? What is your ambition? What are you aspiring to? Charlie Boswell aspired to be the best blind golfer. You see, what we aspire to directs our lives. Our ambition is our motivation. It's our goal. It's our dream. What is it that you aspire to? What's your goal? What's your dream? What is it that when you wake up in the morning, it gives you purpose? Today we're going to be looking at the role of an elder, overseer, pastor. Pastor. So it might be easy to kind of dismiss this whole passage and say to yourselves, this passage isn't for me, this passage is for somebody else. I don't have to be that kind of person. I'm not ever going to be an elder, overseer, pastor. So I can just think of different things this morning. I can work on my things to do list. I can just take a few moments this morning and check my eyelids for holes. Well, I want to submit to you today that this passage not only teaches about the requirements for an elder, overseer, or pastor, but when viewed from a broader perspective, it's teaching us about the ambitions and the aspirations of all of our lives. You see, each one of us are leaders in the areas of our lives, at work, at home, at church, at school. There are eight-year-old leaders. There are 80-year-old leaders. Dads and moms, grandpa and grandma, employee, employer, student, teacher, friend, colleague, church member, church leader, all of us in varying degrees, in varying places, with varying roles, are leaders. See, leadership just isn't based on some title that you have, but it comes from the goals that we are pursuing. Are you aspiring to be a great mom or a great dad? 
Is it your ambition to be a top-notch employee? Is it your goal to be the best student or to be the best teacher you can be? See, leadership isn't just based on a title, but it also comes from the very goals and aspirations of our hearts. So what are you aspiring to? You know, we all know that old adage, right? If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. But you know, it's also true that if you aim at something, right? If you pursue, if you aspire, if you dream for something, you can hit that as well. Now, I want to move our thoughts from the general to the specific. What are your spiritual aspirations? What are the dreams that you have for your relationship with Jesus Christ? What is the goals that you are striving for spiritually? What is your motivation, your ambition to be used by God in his kingdom? Do you even have spiritual aspirations? Do you have spiritual goals? Do you have an ambition to have God use you? Well, as we come to our passage this morning, let's let the word challenge us and help inspire us to spiritual leadership in our lives. So please turn with me in your Bibles there to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Be reading verses 1 through 7. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in to the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Father, we come to you now, having read your word, asking you through the power and wonder of your Holy Spirit to illumine your word to us, to take these words that are alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and use them to challenge us and to change us, to make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, verse 1 teaches us the value of the aspirations of a spiritual leader. The first thing we realize in our passage today is that opening phrase, The saying is trustworthy. If you remember, this is not the first time we've seen this saying in 1 Timothy. If you just look over there to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, we'll see that saying again. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. After these introductory words of the saying is trustworthy, Paul then lists one of the cardinal truths of Christianity. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Amen. That is, that's the heart of it all. He uses this introductory phrase as a way of setting up what will follow as something very important, as something very valuable. So Paul is saying here in verse 1, that aspiring to the office of an overseer is good. It's important. It's valuable. This word aspire means 
to stretch out, to reach for, to yearn for. One translation translates it as to set your heart on. It's important that those who want to become a pastor reach for it. They yearn for it, that they set their heart on it. They aspire to become a pastor. That is good and noble thing. You see, a fire set aflame by God is not easily quenched. It must burn. It must burn bright and long. See, nobody wants their pastor to just kind of end up being a pastor, right? This job didn't work out over here, and that opportunity didn't work out over there, so I guess I'll become a pastor. You know, God doesn't want that. Church members don't want that. He wants men to aspire to set their heart upon it, to yearn for it. And let me tell you, from my heart to yours, that I love being your pastor. It is the privilege of my life to serve you. I yearn for it. I desire it. And I thank you so much, each one of you, for allowing me to be your pastor. Well, let's broaden out this application for a moment. To all of us. It's valuable for all of us to aspire to God's calling in our lives. Pastors are supposed to be an example of sold out, all in, followers of Jesus Christ. But they're not supposed to be the only examples of that. You see, God has set a flame of fire in your lives. God has given to each one of you a calling and a future. God never intended for any of his followers to just be a Christian. He intended all of his followers to be active disciples, serving, leading, sacrificing, giving, fulfilling their calling. God wants you to aspire to be used by him. God wants you to set your heart on engaging in the service. God wants to give you a holy ambition to serve him with your whole heart. This is so important. There's no such thing in the Bible as a professional ministry of paying someone else to do the ministry that God wants you to do. Because the ministry is for all of us to do. It's true at Poland Village Baptist Church, there's one pastor. But it's also true at Poland Village Baptist Church. There, there are over 100 ministers. See, what is the ministry that God has called you to? Do you aspire to that ministry? Is it your ambition to be used of God in the ministry that he's called you to? Is your heart set on fulfilling God's call on your life? There can be no greater satisfaction for one soul, none, than to find its fulfillment in following God's calling. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to fulfill God's calling, they desire a noble task. Now, the word used here in verse 1 is overseer or bishop. The word used in Titus when Paul describes this same official office in the church, he uses the word elder. In Acts 20 and in 1 Peter 5, we see the word pastor used interchangeably with the word elder and overseer. Throughout each, uh, no, though each of these terms describe a different facet of leadership, they are all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament to designate the very one and same office. Elder, overseer, pastor are differing words that describe the one and same job, the one and same responsibility, one and same office. Now, verse 2 through 7 give us 
15 qualifications, 15 characteristics that one should look for in a pastor. These are not so much job description items that tell us, you know, what a pastor is supposed to do, but they're characteristics or qualities that a pastor is supposed to possess or, or, or be or to be uh, pursuing. An important point here. This is an important point. God is much more interested in the quality of our character than in the outcome of our performance. You get that when he's listing out all these character qualities. He didn't do a job description. He talked about character because God is much more interested in the quality of our character than in the outcome of our performance. God's much more interested in who you are than in what you can do for him. See, our culture is so focused on results, effectiveness, and what have you done for me lately? God's focus is on changing and maturing our inside, our character, about making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. So often we have those priorities turned around. But with God, it's crystal clear. God, first and foremost, wants godly men and women. Our focus should align with his focus, focusing on our character, our godliness, on becoming more like Christ first and highest priority of our lives. The character of a spiritual leader. The first character quality listed is above reproach. This is usually seen as a general term that covers all the list of character qualities that follow. The word literally means that there is nothing to take hold of. That there must be nothing in one's life that Satan or the unsaved can take hold of to criticize. It's not talking about sinlessness, but about striving to be blameless, not having things in your life that you can be blamed for. It means having nothing in one's conduct on which someone could ground a charge or an accusation. This very same word is used to describe widows in 1 Timothy 5.7 and of Timothy himself in 1 Timothy 6.14. It does not carry the idea of sinlessness but that there are no shortcomings in character that can easily lead to allegations or accusations. This is important for pastors, but it's important for all of our character. Are there areas in your life that Satan can take a hold of? Are there areas in your life where someone can bring an allegation or an accusation against your character? Are we all striving to be above reproach? Well, the next character quality is often just taken as a status, as a life situation rather than as a character quality. We've often reduced the husband of one wife to mean only married once to the same person. It becomes a simple checkbox of fact. But this is a trait in the midst of all these lists of character qualities. It's not a status. It's not a situation of life. The point of this verse is not that a pastor must be married once to the same person but that he must be a man of fidelity, that he must be devoted and faithful to his wife. The phrase literally means a one-woman man. Paul is not talking about one's status of having been married only once to the same person. No, he's so much more talking about the quality of one's marriage. God wants more from us than just some certain marital status, right? God wants from us in each one of our marriages true fidelity and devotion and faithfulness to our marriage. A pastor is supposed to have this quality and all believers are supposed to strive 
for this quality. No Christian marriage should ever settle for some simple status, but there must be a deeper, fuller commitment that is evidenced for all to see. Is your marriage marked only by status, or is it distinguished by its devotion to one another? The next characteristic is temperate or sober-minded. It means to keep your head in all situations, to be free from rash decisions. Pastors are not supposed to create drama. They're supposed to diffuse drama. All Christians striving to be spiritual leaders in the God-given areas of their lives are not supposed to be creating drama. But we're actually supposed to be used of God to diffuse the drama. So are you a drama creator? Or are you a drama diffuser? Temperate. The next characteristic is self-controlled. This adjective describes a person who's trustworthy and balanced in judgment, not flighty or unstable. They have a serious attitude about the earnest work that is before them. A self-controlled person is able to be sensible and in charge of his life. This is the same word, has the same idea of the last fruit of the Spirit mentioned there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit that is evidenced in every believer's life. Would you describe your life with the adjective self-control? The next trait is respectable, which means modest or proper and well-ordered. The pastor is to be harmonious within and without. His behavior should not be at odds with his inner spirit and his soul. The inside, the heart of a spiritual leader should match their outside actions. A person who lives that way earns respect. Do you want to be respected by your friends and co-workers? Do you want to be respected by your, your family? Be a person of integrity. Be a man or woman of your word. The next quality is hospitable. It literally means loving the stranger or open to the stranger. This quality reflects a vulnerability to others and a desire to care for guests and those in need. In Romans 12:13, it says, All believers are instructed to practice hospitality. We're all commanded to love the stranger. We're all commanded to be open to the stranger. Make you think of something? Jesus' words and Matthew chapter 25, where he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What powerful verses. We're all commanded to love the stranger, to be open to the stranger. For if we do it to the least of these, we do it to Jesus Christ, our Savior. The next trait mentioned is able to teach. The pastor must know what he's talking about. 
Teaching is one of the central duties of the job. To be a pastor, one must be able to communicate God's word in a clear way. Able to teach demands competence and skill in communicating God's word. The ability to teach also requires a heart that wants to be taught. It also requires a passion to learn. All the best teachers are always all the best students, constantly learning. Teaching is a fundamental responsibility of the pastor, but he's not supposed to be the only one teaching. We all have teaching roles in our lives. All of us are teachers. We all as believers should be trying to understand God's word in such a way that we're able to tell others about it to our children, to our friends, to our extended family, and maybe even to teach a class at church. See, able to teach speaks about our ability to handle the scriptures. As maturing believers, we should all be getting a better handle on the scriptures, and thus, we should all be getting more able to teach. Verse 3, then, lists four negative characteristics. Four things that a pastor should not have. Makes me think of the first phrase there of Psalm 1, the very first passage of the Bible that I ever memorized. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not. I am a very blessed man today, by God. Very full of blessings from the things I have not done. Folks, this is such an important principle Not doing wrong things brings great blessings in your life. Not doing wrong things brings great blessings in your life. There are things we should not do, and as we don't do those things, we gain blessings. Godly character is both putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So the four negatives are not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Not a drunkard literally means to not linger with the cup, to thus not to drink to excess. The fact that Paul advised Timothy to use wine for medicinal purposes in 1 Timothy 5.23 indicates that total abstinence from any use of alcohol is not demanded of believers. However, it's very important to understand that sometimes The very same word that is used in the Bible that we use can actually have different meanings. One of those words in the Bible is the word wine. The wine that we have today is not the same as the wine that they used in biblical times. Our wine is much stronger in alcohol content than the wine in Bible times. Their wine is much more like our wine coolers. Their wine was mixed with water. Modern wine coolers are mixed with juice. One of the purposes of both of these is to dilute the alcohol content. One commentator said the Jewish people diluted their wine with water to make sure it was not too strong. It was a well-known fact that water was not pure in those days, so that weak wine taken in moderation would have been healthier to drink. The normal use of wine in Bible times was not for recreational use at all. Was alcohol consumed? Yes. Was the same strength or proof consumed in their wine like our wine? No. 
Was enough alcohol consumed by the regular use of wine that would cause anyone impairment or loss of judgment? No, not at all. The Bible is clear that any type of drunkenness for any believer or any type of impairment through alcohol is wrong. Now let me get a little transparently personal. Long before I was a committed follower of Christ, I hated alcohol. I have seen firsthand the destructive forces of alcohol, the anger, the physical abuse, the pain, the lifelong scars. I could tell you stories. Fortunately, others in this very room could tell stories of the damage that abuse of alcohol causes in lives. From my perspective, from my perspective, there is not one thing, not one benefit, no value at all from the recreational use of alcohol, from my perspective. As spiritual leaders in our lives, we lead by our actions. So here's my challenge to you in this topic. Proverbs 21, and it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The next term, violent, pictures a quick-tempered person who would prefer to use his fists rather than his reason. It literally means not a striker. Such a leader uses threats to bully or to bludgeon people into conformity. The put-off is the violence, the bullying. The put-on, in this verse, it gives us is gentleness, forbearance. The next negative is quarrelsome or combative. Spiritual leaders are not supposed to be contentious, but peaceable. Spiritual leaders at church, in the home, at work, are not supposed to say it's my way or the highway. Spiritual leaders are not supposed to just want everyone to follow their agenda, to, to push their own wants, to force people to do what they want them to do. Pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers and church members. It's never about what I want, what you want. It's always about what we want, what God wants for us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's always about we. The kind of attitude like this will not only provide helpful at the church, but it be helpful in the home and at school and at work as well. Another negative is not a lover of money or not money hungry. The greatest treasure in any person's life is supposed to be our treasures in heaven through our precious relationship with Jesus Christ. That's supposed to be true of all believers and especially modeled by church leaders. An unbalanced focus on money can soon become our master. We know that because Jesus taught us that in Matthew chapter 6. When he said, no one can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A church or a family that is focused on money, on buildings, on things, cannot at the same time keep a proper focus on God's real and true priorities. Now Paul changes the focus to the home life of a spiritual leader. He must manage his household well. The verb for manage carries the idea of governing and leading and giving direction to the family. 
If you're able to manage your household well, that shows that you also have the same ability to lead and care for God's church. When we do well in one area of our lives, we show to others that we're capable to lead in other areas of our lives. That's the principle. If you do well in one area, you're showing and proving to others you're capable to lead in other areas of your lives. If you can't manage your household well, then you're showing others, it's a sign to others, that you're not able to lead in other areas as well. Pastors should oversee both the home and the church with love and truth and discipline. The pastor cannot be one thing at home and something else at the church. None of us can. No spiritual leader can. Managing your household well includes managing your finances, taking care of your home, teaching your children, obedience to you and to God. The home is a proven ground of leadership. Every person who aspires to be a spiritual leader in their life must start with leading as God would have them to lead, being spiritual leaders in their home. The godly pattern is to start at home, applying biblical leadership for both men and women in the home. But let's please note something very important here. Managing your household well does not mean that you have perfect children. Right? Managing your household well does not mean that you have the perfect spouse and you have the perfect home and you have, you know, the lawn is perfect. Everything is perfect. That's not what this is saying. It's so important to realize that we we put these balances on there. Managing your household well means having children that are learning to become obedient. It also does not mean that parents bear responsibility for the choices of their adult children that are no longer in their household. Listen to me about this. Adult children stand on their own character. It's heartbreaking sometimes when our adult children choose things, but it's their choice. They stand responsible for their own actions before God. The biblical pattern was set for us in Genesis. Right there where it says in chapter 2, where our adult children are supposed to leave their father and mother and establish their own household. Beloved, this is so important. May we not judge. May we not criticize another person's home. Let us pray with all humility. For guess what? Each one of us in here know how challenging it is to manage a home. Humility, not criticism. Prayer, not judgment. Now Paul changes his focus to the spiritual maturity of a spiritual leader. One who becomes a pastor should not be a spiritual novice, a new convert. The word literally means newly planted. We get the word neophyte from this Greek word. True spiritual leadership is learned in the crucible of application over time. Knowledge is important. It's very valuable. But knowledge put into action, what's more commonly called wisdom, is even more important and even more valuable. It's so important as the body of Christ to not confuse skills and abilities with spiritual maturity. Just because a person might be good at one aspect of the ministry does not mean that that person is ready to take on a leadership role of the church. The verse tells us that the outcome of wrongly appointed leader is pride. 
which is the same sin that doomed Satan. Knowledge or skill can puff up and lead to pride, but true wisdom wallows in humility. In pursuing spiritual leadership on our lives, in all these areas of our lives, we must doggedly pursue biblical maturity and wisdom. We must be lifelong, humble learners, maturing in our faith. Then in verse 7, Paul describes the necessity of the public reputation of a spiritual leader. An effective church leader needs the respect of even the unsaved world. But being thought of well by outsiders is not talking about popularity. You see, the words a good reputation literally mean a good witness. The whole point is not just the pastor has a good reputation about himself, but that the pastor has a good reputation as a follower of Jesus Christ. He is known not only as a good person, but a true believer. So how about you? Are you known in the community as a good person? Are you known in the community as a good person who's a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ? Do people know that it's your ambition to serve God as the Lord of your life? Being a good person is great. But being a good person because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, that is awesome. Matthew 5, 14-16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people hide a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that when they see your good works, they give glory to God, your Father, who is in heaven. Do people see your good works? And give glory to God the Father in heaven? Or do you get all the glory? The verse ends with a warning. How many pastors have fallen into the snare of the devil? How many spiritual leaders have fallen into disgrace? How many church members have discredited their reputation because they've indulged in a sinful activity that has discolored their reputation as a follower of Christ? You know, it takes a lifetime to build an effective reputation. It takes a moment, a millisecond, to destroy that reputation. We've all seen it far too often all throughout the church. May we, I pray, not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Well, let's close now where we began. Where are your spiritual aspirations? What are your dreams for your relationship with Christ? What is the goal that you're striving for spiritually? What is your motivation, your ambition for God to use you in his kingdom? Do you have these aspirations and ambitions and goals in your heart? God never intended you to just be a Christian and sit there. No, he intended all of us to be active followers of him, leading and giving and sacrificing, fulfilling our calling. Is your heart set on fire to fulfill God's calling in your life? There can be no greater satisfaction for one soul than to find its fulfillment in following God's calling and pursuing the character of a spiritual leader. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to fulfill God's calling, they desire a noble task. What are your spiritual 
aspirations. That's the challenge today. Answer that question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and we thank you for this challenge. We do. We know that um, it's easy to aim at nothing. But Lord, we don't want that. We don't want that at all. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We want to aim at the kingdom of God first. We want to have priorities. We want to have goals. We want to have ambitions. We want to aspire to be used of you. We want to aspire to lead, to, to serve in the church and in the home and in our communities and at work. Lord, teach us. Challenge us. Illumine within us the calling that you've given to us, the flame, the fire, the passion that you've given to each one of us to fulfill on your behalf. For Jesus' name.